0: thanks for listening to The Church at 112 where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. My son has been begging for a bearded dragon for years. He's, he's seven but I think he's been begging for it for like eight or nine years. He's just and so um, we went to PetSmart the other day and I had to get dog food and that's usually the way it goes right you have to get dog food or cat food right for whatever reason our chewy order we forgot to place it I don't know what happened but we go in and we go to get our dog food and like we pass by the geckos they do that they do that to unsuspecting parents so when you walk in that's why I hate going to pet stores thankfully they don't always have dogs and cats there like they did when I was a kid and then you develop a complex from not getting dogs and cats every time you go in the doors And then you get the wrong dogs and cats, which are all dogs and cats. I just don't want animals. Anyway, so I was, we were walking by and there's a bearded gecko, bearded dragon, bearded dragon. And my son's like, hey, can I, can I look at him? Sure, sure. Let's take a couple minutes. We'll look at him. And then he says, hey, can I pet one? (laughs) I I don't know. And in my mind, I thought, ah, ha. Like, y'all ever pass, pass the buck to the, the, the wherever you are, like it's someone else's house, so you pass the buck off on whoever's house is it or, or, or you go to the store. Oh, it's whatever the store manager allows us to do. And so I'm like, oh, they're going to say no because he's a kid and he's going to smush it. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. Let's go ask the lady. And Miss Beth was the lady there. And so I said, hey, my um, son wanted to know if he could hold a bearded dragon. And she says, oh, sure. I'm like, oh, no. And so anyway, we go and she gets the bearded dragon. out. And his eyeballs get huge and not not the dragons although his were huge too i think they were connecting in his moments and uh, and then like they put the bearded dragon on his on his shirt and then i'm like huh, i'm gonna take a picture of that and just send it to my wife without without like she's not even gonna know and she immediately facetimed i think she interrupted a session maybe i have no clue but she immediately facetimed and wondering what was going on and so she sees the bearded dragon grayson sees the beard of, everyone wants the bearded dragon now and even my daughter. So here's what's interesting. I'm like, we're not gonna get one. My wife is deathly afraid of geckos and um, lizards and bearded dragons and things with tails and scales. She doesn't like those things, uh, none of them. She wants to move every time we see something. And my daughter, now my wife wasn't there. So my daughter though, I'm like, oh, she's gonna, she's gonna flip out. She's not gonna like it. She's 12. She's got a, she's got a guinea pig. Which i call a rat without a tail and uh probably rightfully so anyway she's got her pet grayson you know, had a bunny which mary had and so i'm like we're not gonna get one this is great my daughter's gonna flip out so chloe all of a sudden says i want to hold it I'm like, oh man this is not good so then we made the bonehead decision the other night i don't remember where we were but we came and picked up the kids and i thought okay last little test if I can get Mary to hold it, then, then we might get one, but I doubt she's going to hold it because she, she, her skin will crawl and she'll like molt out of her skin out of this. Like she won't ever touch it. She did and she liked it and she said, yeah, let's do it. And we had coupons because like, if you know anything about our lives, we always shop with coupons, right? So that was us. And now we all of a sudden have a bearded dragon at our house. And we, I fed it a couple crickets this morning. I don't know if, if any of you've ever had one. I don't like bugs. And so I try not to touch, I don't touch, I don't touch. But I got the crickets in there and he, he ate them. It was, it was good. Why do I tell you all this? Um, my son, I think I told you, he's, he's seven? He's seven, right? How old is he? He's seven. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> I'm like, wait, 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 he was born in 2014 and I can't math. All right, so he's seven. My son was seven when he, when he got his first pet, which was a rabbit which is no longer his, it's my wife's. She secretly wanted the rabbit. And now he's got a bearded dragon. My daughter is 12. She was 11 when she got her first pet. Now, if you've ever had kids, or if you've ever had siblings, you know that there's a discrepancy now between ages. You know that, oh, that's not fair. You've ever heard that? That's not fair, so-and-so got such and such. I'm like, ah, it's such a common phrase. We do it all the time. Our family does it, which Chloe's excited about it, so it wasn't her, but it doesn't matter. If it's a kid being blessed with like a present, like, it, I, you know, whenever you go to a kid's birthday party and there's cake and there's ice cream and there's little, like now you buy, like, you, you buy people party favors and sometimes the party favors are really, really expensive. It's like, why do you buy someone else a present for them coming to give you a present? It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense financially. It's just bad. But when well, there's a kid getting another present and you're like, oh, that's not fair. I want one. Or if it's a friend who all of a sudden is getting more attention than you are, it's like, oh, that's not fair. They're getting more attention from our other friends or from other people or on Facebook or on social media or on whatever. Or if it's a coworker and all of a sudden, like, they're getting more attention. Maybe they're the one that's getting the promotion. They're getting the raise or they're getting the whatever. And you're like, but I did. I, I put my name, like, I didn't put my name on the, on the report, but I, I did the report and they put the, it's not fair. Or maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's your loved one, or maybe it's your, and like it's all of a sudden there's that phrase, it's not fair. And we say it all the time. Or maybe if, even if it's like a, a people group that are getting aid, and all of a sudden we're like, that's not fair. That they would get something. Why, why am I not getting something? And you can define people group however you want. It could be a minority. It could be a socioeconomic class. It could be a race. It could be whatever you want to say. The division is someone is getting something I'm not getting, so that's not fair. Sometimes I fear Christians act that way towards other people. Alistair Begg, I'm going to give you a four like four different quotes over the course of this morning. Alistair Begg, he writes it this way. He says, "How are you at offering free grace in the pardon of sin? Are you of all people afraid the wrong people are going to get saved. Are you, of all people, afraid that the wrong people are going to get saved? I'm like, man, wow. When he said that, I just when I, when I read that, I'm like, that's, that's not fair. And sometimes we think that way. We might not verbalize it, we might not say it, but we think that's not fair that that person gets God's grace and I, they don't deserve it. Brings us to the book of Jonah. So you can go on and flip to Jonah. Trey read about Jonah in the book of Matthew earlier, uh, but we'll be in Jonah chapters one through four. And it's, it's normally, so our format is normally good news, bad news. Where are we? Where Jesus? Where's Jesus? That's usually the format. But because of the way the book of Jonah is written, we're going to, we're going to, shake things up just a little bit. We're still going to look at those four things. So if if you are taking notes or if you're going back and you're listening to these on Spotify or whatnot, uh, you will always find in our minor prophets uh, the good news, the bad news, where we wear Jesus, because we can see that Jesus is everywhere in scripture. He's everywhere. We know that we, although the Bible is not written, it was not written in our time, we know that it applies to us. So we are while we are not physically present, there is a spiritual dynamic to, to every scripture for us. And we know that there's always bad news. That sounds so gloom. Um, but praise God, there's always good news, always. Always good news in scripture. So that's what we're gonna look at. I wanna tell you about Jonah. He was the only prophet, if you're looking at trivia questions, he was the only prophet ever to run from God. Some of you have been around the Bible a little bit, you've been around the block, or You've got kids or grandkids, and you've watched the VeggieTales movie Jonah. Uh, He's the only prophet ever to have run from God. You're like, but that's not, yeah, that is, that's true, that's true. He's the only prophet that we have recorded ever running from God. God says, hey, I want you to, and then he runs. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It was written between, or happened between 780 and 750 BC. The big deal here is that Assyria, and we've talked about this the last few weeks, Assyria and Israel... We're having issues they're having big issues in fact Assyria was the i want to say arch nemesis of Israel at this time they were the ones that we are going to make your life miserable just absolutely miserable Jonah's job we find this in second kings chapter 14 uh, Jonah's job is very very simple as a prophet scripture tells us 2 Kings 14, verse 25, says it this way, that he, Jonah, restored Israel's border from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai from Gath-Hefer. Uh, Jonah's job was twofold. His job was, number one, just like ours, to listen to God. Listen to God. It's easy. What do you do today? Listen to God. It's like, like leaving your kid you know, at home for five minutes, so you can go check the mailbox. Hey, you have one job today. What's that? Listen to God and also watch the door. No, I'm just kidding. Listen to God. That's his first job. Second job, uh, he was to expand the borders, restore the borders. Um, thankfully, maybe thankfully, I'm not really sure. There's different, a few different layers here. Assyria uh, at this point in history was in a little bit of a decline. They were, they were a superpower, but they were in a little bit of a decline. They had had some issues recently, some inner turmoil. So Israel started to expand a little bit. Amos chapter 5, verse 27 says it this way. So I will send you into exile beyond Damascus. The Lord, the God of the armies is his name, has spoken. He's saying like Israel, I'm going to send you into exile into uh, into Assyria, like way beyond where you are. I'm going to send you... So even though Assyria was in a little bit of a decline, and they're the arch nemesis of Israel, God's like, no, no, no. You've got issues, God's people, going on, and I'm going to send you further than you want to go. He says it a little more clearly in Hosea chapter 11. We looked at Hosea several weeks ago. Hosea chapter 11 verse 5 says it this way, Israel will not return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria will be his king. Why? Because they refused, they, Israel, God's people, refused to repent. All of that background leading up here to Jonah chapter one. I want to read you my second quote. It's from Mark Langham. So I have a buddy named Paul, his buddy, uh, his buddy, his brother, Mark. He's gone all over the world doing peacekeeping stuff and uh, with um, Franklin Graham's ministry, Samaritan's Purse. And so he wrote a book called Jonah and you can only buy, you can buy it for like three bucks right now on Kindle Unlimited. But he wrote a book called Jonah, and he says it this way. He says, Jonah is a window through which we can see our motives and the beauty of God's relentless action for his created. Like when we look at the book of Jonah, and it's what we call a narrative. So most of the prophetic books are just prophecy, 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 like God's judgment. And in that judgment, we learn that we need to repent. And if... We're lucky in some of those judgments, like you, you'll hear a little bit about restoration. But this one is what we call narrative, and so it's just written for us to... It's like a story. We've got a historical story right here to learn from. So it's a window through which we can see our motives. In Jonah, to get to the good news, unfortunately, we've got to get to the bad news. We've got to get through layers of bad news first. Bad news, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Or another way of putting that is like the stench of what they're doing has reached my nostrils. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence and he went down to Joppa which was the port, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid with fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So several times they mentioned, hey, there's Tarshish. I just want to let you know clearly. Jonah's like, Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. I'm going not to where God wants me to go. Here's a few different layers. There's so many different layers of bad. I wish we could do a whole different set of teachings on this because there's so much rich stuff here. But a few of the different layers of bad. Number one, God spoke like God commanded. God spoke and commanded. Now, that's not a bad thing unless you disobey it. He says, I want you to go to the worst people. I want you to go to Assyria. I want you to go to like your arch nemesis. I want you to go to the person whose guts you hate. I'm sorry, we don't say hate. The the person that you unfriended or blocked on Facebook. I want you to go to the person that you don't like at all. I want you to go to the person that like, you think ill thoughts about them. I want you to go to the person that you don't like at all. I want you to go to Assyria. They're bad people. Just, they are the Toby of the ancient Near East. You're welcome, you're welcome. They're, the to- they, they're terrible, just absolutely terrible. Uh, Jonah the VeggieTales movie calls them fish slappers, uh, and I think that really glosses over. they were They were seafaring people, of course, but they were so bad that they would They would have like mounds of human skulls of people that they'd conquered and just leave them everywhere so so that if people came into and saw like into their town or into their city and saw what was going on they was they they'd get freaked out immediately because like they would flay people now if you ever want to uh i wouldn't do it on july 4th although today is barbecue day national barbecue day Uh, but you could look up the word flay because they they flayed people you don't flay people that's illegal but they would flay people on spears, and it was grotesque. They were f- physically and psychologically abusive. They were known across all that land, the ancient Near East, like, you don't mess with these, f- these people. These folks are not your folks. These are bad people. God said, I want you to go to the worst. Number two, he goes from he goes from where he is, wherever God called him, and he goes to Joppa, which I've been to Joppa, which is kind of neat. There's, there's a, a Jonah statue out there in Joppa. Um, but you go from, he's like, I want you to go from Joppa 500 miles to the east. If I would walk 500 miles, then I would walk 500 more. Isn't that how the song goes? He's like, hey, I just want you to go 500 miles. He's like, and then I will go 500 more times five. I'm gonna go west, God. You're telling me to go east and I'm gonna go west. I'm gonna go far away. In fact, instead of going 500 miles to the east, he goes 2,000 miles to the west. He goes to Spain. And now I don't have a map up here to show you. You, have, you may have a map in the back of your Bible. You may be able to find one online, but the way it works is like, if you can imagine just for a moment, if here's Israel, here's my hand, here's Israel, here's a sea, here's Israel, here's Joppa, or Tel Aviv, uh, he wants him to go like right here, it's not too far. You can go through the land. Instead, he's like, no, uh, I'm gonna go this way across a dangerous sea, and I'm gonna go all the way to Spain. I'm gonna eat tacos, it's gonna be fantastico. I don't think that's even a, a, the right language. Anyway, he's like, I'm gonna go somewhere else and I'm going to learn something else, and God, I'm going to leave you. We often waste resources running from God, amen? Number three, it says it, at the very end of verse three, it says that he went down into it, the ship, to go with them, people, to Tarshish, a place, from the Lord's presence. Now that word there in the Hebrew, from the Lord's presence, it's a very specific word, and it's, 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 It means out of company with the king. And so obviously we can never outrun God. We can never run away from God. We can't get out of his presence. We can't say, oh, now I'm not in your presence anymore. He's saying, no, I'm out of communication with you. I want to get out of of an audience with you, my king. I'm I'm, I'm stepping away and I don't want to be spiritually near you. I love it. Psalm 139 says it this way. Side note, the longer, let me have a phrase, the more you get into Scripture, the more you realize that Scripture uh, crosses itself multiple times and it harkens back one to the other more and more and more. Psalm 139 verse 7. David says, where can I go to escape your spirit? It's the, same, it's the same Hebrew phrase, by the way. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, verse 8, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. And a lot of us, like, we think, man, I'm just going to get out of, I ran from God for a while. I ran from God. And finally, if you've heard my story before, I've told you, I gave up running because there's no way you can outrun God there's no way you can ask him all the questions that you want you can doubt him say it's not fair why me it's not fair and Jonah's like I I, want to get out Uh, you're asking me it's not fair God it's not fair that you want me to go and extend your grace and your mercy to someone else it's not fair he was openly telling God no You know, we often love like a yes or no type question um, because of the conciseness, right? I'm a concise person. I love, I am verbose by the way, I talk a lot, but we love it when someone asks us, um, are you going to the store? Because it's a very quick question, it's like yes or no. We love it because it's concise. However, we lose precision sometimes when we are too concise. Precisely our no to God when he calls says, I am unwilling to serve you. Our no to God when he calls us shows, our, shows that we're, our heart says, I'm unwilling to serve you. If God's like, hey, I want you to go talk to that person today. No. Well, that's not being concise. That's precisely showing that you don't want to serve him. Hey, I want you to go love your kids today. I know they're a train wreck. They came from you, by the way. But like, I know that oh, they're only half of mine, whatever. Um, I want you to go love your spouse. I want you to go love your friends. I want you to, amen, love your boss. I want you to go love a people group at the border. I want you to go love people from Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Come on. Like, I want you to go love other people that are not like you. And God, and we say, no, like a kid. Good Lord, like a kid. And really what we're saying is, I'm just unwilling to serve you. But that's too messy. We don't want to ever say that because it makes us look bad, right? The bad news that Jonah shows us is that there's a natural sinful reluctance to share God's good news. Even on the ship. Even on the ship. So Jonah gets on the ship. He had a lot of different opportunities. Uh, they, there starts to be like a, a storm brew, brew up. Verse six, the captain approaches Jonah and says, "Hey, what are you doing asleep? Get up, call to your God." Now this was a multi-multi uh, God type. There was all sorts of different gods, very ecumenical. Like the all, all sorts of gods were worshipped on this ship. Say, so, "Hey, call to your God. Maybe it's maybe it's something that your God can handle because these guys these guys' gods can't handle whatever. So maybe it's yours. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. There was all sorts of opportunity." So they called out, verse 14, they called out to the Lord, caps lock, L-O-R-D. They called out to the Lord God Almighty. Please, Lord, they said, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. They take Jonah, they throw him off the ship. And then we get verse 16. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I did a lot of research on this through the years. I love this book so much. I've done a lot of research. Uh, it's, it's, not, very not, it's very not clear that they made any, um, what do you call it, any conversion. Very clear that we don't know for certain that they made conversion. More than likely, these type of seafaring folks would make vows to whatever gods they wanted to in a moment. But for a moment, they at least said, here God, we want to make you some promises, which is kind of cool. At least they looked to God. But I imagine even in those moments that Jonah's probably like, that's not fair, God. That's not fair. So, he's in the belly of a fish, chapter 2. He's saying a really contrite prayer. I want to read verse 9 to you. Often we study chapter 2, which is a prayer. Often we study chapter 2. Uh, as what we can do for god and how what we do for god is awesome god what i've done for you is great i changed the world you want to you know what god cares about let's look at verse 9 and dig into it but as for me jonah says i will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving i will fulfill what i have vowed i mean right there he's like god it's me 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 me, me. But you know the thing that matters the thing that god cares about is that very last line god didn't spit jonah out of a fish until that very last line he says salvation belongs to the lord it doesn't matter what we do it doesn't matter all the great things that we could do even if you don't ever have that thought well it's not fair those people shouldn't i hate that word those people but even if that doesn't ever cross your mind or, or cross your lips he says Like, the point is, looking at God, that salvation belongs to God. So, that was all the bad news, or a lot of the bad news. There's more, but that's that's the ones that we're going to cover for today. Let me tell you about the good news. Number one, God loves sinners. And He has a message for us, or He has for us a message of hope and restoration. God loves sinners. And I have some friends that would not like that me saying that like we just sang a couple songs about how god really loves us like god loves sinners you probably came out of churches uh, maybe in your past 20 30 years ago whatever maybe recently maybe in your family life like you came out of out of places friendships where they didn't believe that god loved sinners oh but god loves sinners David Platt writes it this way. He says, while we are prone to prejudice and even hatred, quote, God is prone to love and not just prone to love, God clearly loves. It is so easy for us to be prone to prejudice and prone to hatred. And I don't like those people. You may be talking about your kids or you may be talking about political parties, Fox News. Amen. Like you may be talking about whatever. You're like, I don't love those people. God does. God loves us all. God calls a man, Jonah, and we saw that in 2 Kings chapter 12, remember? It was very brief, but I read you that his job was to listen to the word of the Lord. God calls a man to go 500 miles, and now it's give or take, you know, maybe two, three, Four thousand miles with all the different detours and hey you were and then you were in fish and who knows where that fish went maybe saw his friends while jonah's talking to us who knows who knows but he he went on a lot of different detours and then all of a sudden the fish vomited that's gross he spit up uh, jonah onto a shore and he probably didn't smell the best because there's stomach digestive acids probably in whatever fish he was in but god calls a man to go so that he could share a message of hope and restoration with others. So, we get to chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He said, I want you to get up and go to Nineveh. I've heard this before. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will. I will serve you this time. I want to read to you the message that he had to share. Verses 7-9, through he issued a decree... Uh, Sorry, his message was very simple. Verse 4, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That was it. The people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh. So this happened in the streets. Some of us, like, we think that we have to go straight to a source. Like, you you can share a message of hope and restoration from the Lord anywhere you go. The gas station? Yeah, sure. Walking around? Yeah. James, I'm stinky. I went to the pool today. I smelled terrible. You know what? Jonah smelled probably a little worse. Maybe not. It's South Mississippi. But, but and he was sharing on his first day's journey, all he said was, hey, in 40 days, this is going to happen. The message went up from there to the king. The king issued a decree. He says, by order of the king and, and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing." Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Looking at the phrasing there, and I'm not gonna get into linguistics for a moment, but just looking at the phrasing there, he wasn't doing this so that, like my kids do something so they get out of trouble. They're doing this here. Everyone must call out earnestly to God. Everyone must turn from their evil ways and from their wrongdoing. Everyone must repent. Everyone, everyone must turn from what they're doing. Quit flaying people, Bobby, and we need to turn this way. I just realized that was a Food Network joke. That's terrible. All right. I want to remind you that the Israelites are reading this book. They're reading Jonah. When this was written, it was written to Israelites. It was written for Israel. It was written for a specific people in a specific time. They still read this book every year on the same day, the Day of Atonement, the Day of Yom Kippur. So like every day ever since this book was written and it started getting circulated out, like they would read Jonah. On the day when they would when they would celebrate that God makes them at one with Him, Day of Atonement, that God did something so that they could be right with God. Every day, every, every year, I mean, they read this specific book. They remembered God's covenant with Abraham, which in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, it says that, that God said part of the blessing was like, you, you've probably heard of Abrahamic covenant. God's promise to Abraham said that I will bless you and make, you, uh, make your numbers great. I'll make you more numerous, your descendants more numerous than the stars on the seashore, right? stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. That's what we usually focus on and we forget that God also said in verse 3, chapter 12 verse 3 of Genesis, he says that your nation will be a blessing to all other nations. We we'll often forget that one. Especially for those of us that are I mean we're not in here but prejudiced or racist or we just don't like people. I don't like people at all. They're bad. I just want to stay at home all day. Like sometimes we forget that God told Israel, I want you to be a blessing to all nations, not us, Israel. He's writing to Israel. Israel is reading this. Jonah, the book of Jonah, is God showing that he keeps his promises. I didn't tell you earlier, so is- uh, Assyria was kind of in a little bit of a decline. There was a couple things that happened in Assyria during this time. Uh, there was a plague that struck twice, COVID-19 and COVID-20. In 765 and 759, uh Uh, B.C., there were two plagues that hit. Like, their nations were, were hit hard with plagues. And then, on top of that, historically, June 15th, 763 there was a total eclipse of the sun now you got to understand they didn't have weather apps and they weren't always checking like oh wow there's gonna be an eclipse tomorrow they didn't know those things necessarily they had some soothsayers and astrologers and astronomers and blah, blah 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 but they didn't really know that and all of a sudden like the sun's blotted out and like okay so we have two plagues and inside of these two plagues we had a sun being blotted out this is crazy so jonah knew that they would probably be more apt to listen to a message from god He didn't even share a happy one. He just said, hey, in 40 days, you're going to die. And they fell to their knees and repented. They turned because of a a message. I know it sounds strange, but a message of hope and a message of restoration. So number one, God loves sinners. Number two, God sees us that we can trust in him and that God has mercy. Chapter 3, verse 10, God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened with them, and he did not do it. God's got mercy. The good news is that God loves sinners, and God has mercy. He has mercy. This is good news. Did you know that the word mercy is used 56 times in the Old Testament? 57 times in the New Testament. Jesus is like, ah, One more. It was a lame Jesus joke, but I liked it. <laughs> 22 of those times are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 22 of the 57 times. But all of those times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of those times that the word mercy is used, it's always, have mercy on us. Most of them are, have mercy on us, Son of David, have mercy on us, Son of Man, have mercy on us, Jesus, have mercy on us, God. Most of those all of those all 22 of those are have mercy on us the rest of them are in paul's letters what does that matter where's the bad news where's the good news let's answer now where's jesus ephesians chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. where's jesus we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, oh, I love that. Verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his love, his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. God, who is rich in mercy through Christ. So, where is Jesus? God is rich in mercy. Now, I looked at that, rich in mercy, and I looked that up. How many times is that used in the Bible? Seven times, seven times, and oddly this is the only time where it says that God is rich in mercy. Like, I looked up rich in, and only seven times was it ever used, rich in something, and only one time was it ever mentioned of God, what he's rich in. Isaiah chapter 6 tells us that God is holy, holy, holy. We know that. But you don't see anywhere else where it says God is love, love, love in one verse. You don't see anywhere else where it says God is rich in this. But here, it tells us that God is rich in mercy. You know, I've told you, I've taught you before when you read the Bible, if you see something repeated a lot, like take note. But also, if you see something so significant that's only said once, what is He rich in? Oh, man, this is a big deal. He's only going to say it one time, listen in, rich in mercy, got it, write it down. Mercy, for those of us who are kind of new to the Bible, listening or here, mercy is not getting what we deserve. God is rich in not giving us what we deserve. I mean, you deserve so much turmoil, wrath, flaying. I wonder if God's like, I'm not even going to create that. I'm going to let someone else create that. that one's bad, that's dark. We deserve so much terror, and yet God is rich in mercy and saves us through Christ. Nineveh deserved punishment. We deserve punishment. Yet Isaiah chapter 53, verse five tells us that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, upon the Messiah, upon the rescuer. We know this rescuer now is Jesus. So we know that our punishment due for us was from, like, it was taken by. The mercy of God was given to us in Christ, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. So, going back to Jonah. Jonah knows what God is like. He prayed to the Lord. He says, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought, Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. Why? Because I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. I knew this. I knew this about you. I knew, like this, I knew what you are going to... God, that's why I said, that's why I even said, God, I said, you're going to die, everyone. And like, you did it anyway. You gave him mercy anyway. Because I knew what you were going to do, God. It's not fair. That word there for faithful love, it's, a, it's a, abounding in faithful love. It's used over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. It means, it's a, it's a hesed, H-E-S-E-D is how we would spell it in English at least. But it's a faithful love. It's it's really expressed in, this faithful love is is expressed in God's uh, redemption for us uh, from sin. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, Paul writes, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now that's getting what we don't deserve. God's like, hey, I'm rich in mercy, but I also have grace for you. I want to give you both. And only through Christ. Only through Christ. God loves sinners. And his message of hope is through Christ. So, bad news, good news. Where's Jesus? Well, where are we? If we haven't heard ourselves in here already, where are we? We are in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. We know God loves sinners so why do we live lives saying that's not fair like how you act towards people says more about you than it does about god now it's a negative testimony towards god but it says more about you than it does about god well i can't forgive that person they hurt me i can't i can't trust them ever again because they 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 gave me like the impossible whopper i can't trust them now god i just can't um we i can't trust my kids can't I can't look that person in the eyeballs anymore because they broke my trust I can't they hurt me too bad God doesn't change we do so what do we do Priscilla Schreier writes it this way she says God's calling you means that he has chosen you above everyone else like in your specific situation Well, I've got kids okay God's called you to handle, to deal with, to volunteer for. Just kidding. Um, God's called you because he knew that you would be what they need. That's, that's the story of Nineveh and that's Jonah. He's like, God, that's not fair, man. It's not fair. But God is calling you. Well, James, like in my hurt, in my pain, like I've buried two kids. God's calling you. Because he knows that you can handle it above everyone else. Well, why didn't this happen to another church plant? Like this, you know, this is a question that happens to me sometimes, you know, often. Why us? God's like, I've called you because y'all can do this. Why did I get hurt? Well, God didn't do it, but God says you can handle this when other folks can't. Why does my heart ache? Because you can handle this while others can't. Why did my loved one pass? Because the world is broken, but you above all other folks. So I love that she wrote that in her book, Jonah. God loves sinners. I had a lady once. Did I tell you about this? I I had a lady in hospice. And I asked her one time, I said, hey, how's your faith? How's that going? She said, oh, it's so strong. I said, well, tell me about it. She said, you know, there was one time where I asked God, why me? And it's like he impressed back to me, well, why not you? I'm like, oh, I'm going to write that down. Because I forget things. I'm going to write that down. And I did. Why not you? Why not you? Because people get to watch how you walk with the Lord in whatever it is. Well, that's not fair. And they get to watch you walk through that with God. God loves sinners. So we need to, number one, know. And number two, share this message of hope and restoration. So here's your one application for today, if you didn't get anything else today. I want you to pray you to pray God give me an opportunity give me an opportunity to share this message of hope with others and give me the strength to do it too if we if we there's so much that we could get from Jonah but if we can only get that today that would be fantastic God give me the opportunity to go and give me the strength to share Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today and these moments together. God, it's my prayer that we, we look to you. And God, that we trust you. And God, that we get out of our minds what Satan puts in there, saying that's not fair, but instead that, God, we look to you and we say, you know what? I trust you anyway because you're rich in mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen.